0: Over 1,000 years ago, intelligence was referred to as intellectus, which meant understanding. But it was not simply a brain reference, a cognitive reference. The great philosophers believed intelligence was more spiritual, a deeper spiritual pursuit. And I believe it is with the same deeper understanding that my guest today decided to tackle the idea of intelligence in her book entitled... Intelligence Isn't Enough. Hey guys, welcome back to the Brain and Brand Show. I'm your host, Timothy Maurice. And today, we're going to dive into the brain of Carice Anderson, the author of Intelligence Isn't Enough. Carice has her MBA from Harvard, but what makes her work special is she's worked for some of the world's leading firms, such as McKinsey, helping young professionals think about how to be successful in the workplace. In the following conversation, we explore what we frame as a higher intelligence. I'd like you to consider, what is the higher intelligence that you'll need for you to succeed in your career and personal life? Moving forward, the ability to be culturally savvy, boost your brain power, have energy and social intelligence, all of these and more will be required to navigate this increasingly complex world. Meet Carice Anderson. Enjoy. Carice Anderson, welcome to the Brain and Brand Show.
1: Thank you, Timothy, so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I want to go back to where you grew up. When you grew up, who was the most intelligent person you knew?
1: I would answer that question a couple different ways. I think as a as a child, it was probably my mother, because my mother is very, very smart. Like She was the salutatorian of her high school and her college class. I think she... He skipped a grade. My dad is also really smart, too. He skipped, I think, one or two grades. So I I probably as a young person, I would have said my parents. I think once I got to high school, I think about some of the people that I was in honors classes with or AP classes with, Um, you know, Mm. the valedictorian of my high school class. His name is Michael Mark, if you're listening. Uh, (laughs) But I, I probably would have named some of those people as the smartest people that I know. And I probably would have carried that on through business school as well. When I was at Harvard Business School, I would have said there was a guy in my class named Soyeon Song. He's a, I think he's Korean, really smart guy. Like, got a hundred on our uh, finance year one final, our mid midterm. I can't remember, and everybody was just astonished, right? Mm. So I think up until probably maybe mid career, I would have said. Those kinds of people who are academically smart, who have high IQ, who you know, yeah, yeah, a yeah, tests and papers. I think I would answer that question differently now. Now that now I that can-
0: you've yeah yeah okay we're gonna get into that let's okay. let's stay let's stay where you grew up and where you were brought up. As I mentioned in the intro, you are a celebrated author now. You've researched the idea of. A higher level of intelligence and we're going to, we're going to definitely dive into that. But I'm more interested now in looking at when you grew up and when you say your mother was intelligent and how she helped you navigate and you think about spiritual intelligence, you think about emotional intelligence, you think about the ability to trust your gut as a form of intelligence. What are some of the, let's go one step deeper on some of the things that you saw in your mom that was really special in terms of an intelligence that you now look back on and go, that was beautiful.
1: I mean, I think my mom just always seemed to have the answers. She always knew what was the right <laughs> thing to do. You know, she, she, she could help me with homework, you know, cause my mom mm. actually, I think at one time was a, was a math major. And so, you know, she could help me with math problems or she could help me with reading. And she really, I think encouraged academics and and succeeding mm. from that perspective right so and because she had been successful in her academic career you know because i knew like like i said she was salutator in her high school and her college class so i think for me just the combination of all of those things made me feel like oh wow she's she's the smartest person i know
0: wow when did you realize you had a little something something going on when it came to your own intelligence
1: really early i mean i i can remember probably being in the first grade and, you know, they start, they start grouping kids, you know, based on kind of your academic um, Yeah. you know, and I was in like the special group that was a little, that was further ahead. Right. Or, yeah. Yeah. More advanced materials. So it was really early. And so I always knew that I was quote unquote smart.
0: Were you street smart as a teenager or were you just book smart or both?
1: Just book, no street. but this is the thing i lived a very sheltered life like i went to the same school from kindergarten through eighth grade i was pretty much in the same class with the same people there was a lot of you know sameness you know everybody was christian everybody's parents were married you know what I mean? There, you know, and yeah. I, because I went to Catholic school, there was a lot of talk about values and principles and morals. You know, and so yeah, I led a very sheltered life, and and I mean, I continued that pretty much through 12th grade because I was wow. Catholic high school too. So I just I wasn't very exposed to difference and how different people yeah, see man. the world or different principles or, or, or moral systems. I just I just had no exposure to that, so it was all very much book smart.
0: So when you left high school, I'm sure there was no, there was no inkling in your mind that you'd end up living in South Africa at some point in your life, right?
1: Absolutely not. If you had told me that, I would have laughed at you.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. Hard. <laughs> Hard. <laughs> so, so you finish HBS, you get married, you meet someone who's from this part of the world, and... <laughs> well, who has family from this part of the world. Right. And you, you find yourself doing really well. You build some phenomenal networks in the country. You know, we meet, you know, we share networks, we end up growing. What would you, what would you say is some of the things that helped make you successful? And this is all before you wrote the book. And then we're going to talk about your bestselling book. So what were some of the things that helped you become successful and uh, that when you first came to this country?
1: I would say number one is just being culturally fluid and recognizing that, you know, because, I mean, you know, you've grown up in America. You know America is very Americentric. It's very much about this is how America does things. This is how America works. And we don't traditionally look very much outside of America. No. You You get the sense that this is the only way to do something. But I realized, no, there's different ways to do things. There's different ways to operate, not just from a societal standpoint in terms of culture, but also organizationally, you know, and so yeah. learning, learning how to be fluid, but at the same time, maintain my own core set of values and principles and boundaries was, was really important for me. I'd say that's probably. That's Wait, probably so
0: give a- me, give me, give me one example of you being culturally fluid give me I'm trying to imagine you yeah break it down
1: <laughs> I mean I think so I have a natural bias towards execution getting stuff done moving the needle forward but I recognized in South Africa people want you to greet them before you do any of that yeah you know I mean so you have to yeah. acknowledge a person as a human before you acknowledge them as the person who's going to be able to answer your question or solve your problem
0: can I tell you something funny like it now irritates me when I engage people in America. Because yep. you, you, if you noticed in America, like people will email you and they won't even greet. They'll just put your name, Carice. Whereas here, there's going to be like two lines of greeting and hello and all sorts of stuff. But in the States, they will just start to email, Tim, and then here's what I need. Yo, it's a fundamental difference. And people don't realize that. Exactly. And I'm the same way.
1: I'm the exact same way. I'm like, can you say hello to me as a person? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just launch into what you want. And you know what's funny is I also try to interact with people like that. So, you know, if I call a customer service representative, you know, I will say, hi, Tim, how are you? And I can tell the person is like, why are you wasting my time? Like, get, get to the point. <laughs> <laughs> but it just goes to show you, right, we're fluid from a cultural standpoint. Because you and I, it. you have lived here way longer than I have, but yeah. we, we, you know, have adjusted, and it's almost become part of who we are to operate yeah, in this yes, way. And now, yes. I, you know, I've got to adjust back, you know.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: To, to, to the way I was raised, so it's really interesting. Okay,
0: one more. Give me one more. So being culturally fluid helped you succeed. And one more.
1: I think just sometimes accepting it is what it is. I mean, I know that's a mm. it's a commonly used phrase. Um, I, I would say I would say it is what it is, but also accepting that there's change. Okay. And that right. nothing lasts. Nothing lasts forever. The good times or the bad times. And and like I said, I think on the it is what it is. Sometimes you just have to accept that this is how a place is. This is how an organization's culture is. And then you got to figure out how to work within that. You know, because sometimes sure. I think we get this idea that we can change a place, but that that takes years and groups of people to be able to do that. You're not going to be able to do that as a, as a solo entity. So I think sometimes just accepting what an organization is and trying to figure out how do I um maneuver and navigate this space in light of what it is, the good and the and the not so good.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about your best-selling book. You know, yesterday I was in a CNA or somewhere. And um it was on the bestseller list. And it just made me really, really smile. And I see it at different bookstores doing really well, being profiled all over the place. Um, I, m- one of my favorite experiences was I was in a bookstore recently. And I saw this girl holding it like she was holding the Bible. <laughs> hilarious. I'm dead serious. She was, she, she, so she was in the bookstore. She had grabbed it. And now this is like, I'm going to buy it. You know, it's in her hand and she's holding it next to her. Like no one will touch this book. (laughs) It's so It was such a beautiful moment for me because I remember we had some early conversations right around the time you were thinking about publishing it, but I want you to take us back. What made you go, this is the book I want to write. Before we continue, when you're ready, please make sure you leave a comment about how you enjoyed the show and do share the link to this episode with someone you care about. Now back to the conversation.
1: Well, you know, Tim, I think it's been honestly, it's been an evolution. You know, so okay. if, 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 if I refer back to my own start in my career, I was so clueless. I was miserable. I was frustrated. I was disappointed. All, pretty much all of the negative human emotions. <laughs> I was feeling them right and then fast forward when I started working in South Africa I saw a lot of young people who were just like me in 1998 so I started working in South Africa in 2012 and I'm thinking 14 years later and these kids still don't feel any differently than I did 14 years earlier and so that really was where the wheel started turning for me and I just thought You know, also because I worked in some really, you know, elite, well resourced organizations, and I thought about all of the hoops that we people had to jump to get into that space to get that sort of professional development and support. And I was like, the average person probably won't be able to jump through all these hurdles. So, how can I share this information that I think is widely available to everyone? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think that's an important point. I mean, you know, working in an organization like for example, when you were at McKinsey and seeing what it takes to get in and get to the top is very valuable insight. And you could feel that in this book is that you had a particular purview that that very few people have, right? Like you have networks that are elite and you are, you're in a position, you were in a position where you could see what it takes to get there, but also what it takes to develop a mind to get there. So I think for me, one of the refreshing aspects of the book was your lens on this. You know, oftentimes you find a researcher who's slightly detached from their own content, even though it can be brilliant and it can be whatever. But I felt that exactly what you just said, you walked your own journey, but then also as a researcher and an observer of this actual insight, you were probably the best place to have that conversation. And I don't think anybody else could have wrote the book and giving it justice the way you did. So for me personally, and for those of you who are going to go out and get this book after you heard this or you know, buy it on Amazon or wherever you're going to get it, I think you're going to appreciate that. Tell us a little bit more about the work you were doing in organizations like McKinsey so that people get what I'm saying.
1: Sure. So I, for those of you that may not be familiar with McKinsey, it is arguably the biggest management uh, consulting firm in the world. So they're all over... Uh, the world they have offices all over the world they really help to solve countries and private sectors biggest problems that's that's what McKinsey does and so in my role at McKinsey the way McKinsey is structured is HR does benefits admin and payroll and professional development which is the team I was part of does everything else related to people so we staff people on studies we run reviews coach people give people feedback as part of my role I ran a leadership development program for really talented black south africans. And you know in that role I got an opportunity to really help people navigate that space. And you won't find this role in a lot of different companies, right? Where it's somebody every every person below a certain level at McKinsey is assigned to a professional development manager. And so if somebody if you're not doing well, if you're having trouble in your relationships, if you're just struggling to manage your mindset, you can go to this person and say, hey, help me. You know, you don't have that in most companies. Um, And that's 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 kind of what I was referring to a second ago when I said you're in an organization that's so well resourced. But a lot of people are never going to have that have that opportunity at the base or to have access access to that kind of a role that's there to really support you. And the thing I love about that role, too, and I honestly think every every company should have it, is it's somebody who's intimately aware of your situation, but they have no input on your review. Mm. So it's somebody you can be totally honest and open with. You don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend or put up a facade, right? And so that's what I think a lot of people in a corporate need is you need that safe space. And somebody who's, who's also committed, that's my job, was to help you be successful. It's not like I was yeah. just doing it, you know, on a volunteer basis. That was my job, to, to play my part in terms of you being successful.
0: Where did this title come to you? Um, were you in the shower? Were you running? Were you doing yoga? Were you doing your hair? What was <laughs> happening?
1: <laughs> you know, one of the things I must say that McKenzie helped me with, I mean, McKenzie has a very specific way of communicating. And it's called Mm. top down. And it's really it's really helps you think about what am I actually trying to tell people? Like if if I only had, you know, 10 seconds to speak to somebody, what would I tell them? And then it just literally came to me. I was just like, intelligence isn't enough.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: It's, It's just not enough, you know, and hopefully with that title, people would. And it was funny. Somebody actually wrote me on LinkedIn and this guy said, um, I was in the airport. I saw your book and I saw that title. And I thought, well, if intelligence isn't enough, what is? And so that's what <laughs> I wanted. <people> to, <laughs> I wanted people to look at that title and, and say, well, let me pick this book up to see what else there is that I need to you know, be doing or thinking um, in order to be successful. And that's that's really what it boils
0: down to. You know, the, the title is fascinating, but, you know, the cover is as fascinating to me because you actually look like the cover. You look like you just stepped right off. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into that. I promise. Let's stay focused. Let's walk a couple steps back in terms of deciding about how to go about researching this book. What made you decide to, you know, use the the research methodology that you actually used?
1: That idea actually came from Dr. Jennifer Madden. So Jennifer at the time was a professor at Carthage Carthage College, which is in Wisconsin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And she's the one that actually came up with that idea. She's like, I think you should interview people. And so once she said that, you know, because like you mentioned, I have a really great network. I just started thinking about who could I speak to? You know, and I wanted to get a broad range of people. I wanted to get people who had been born, raised, educated and worked in all parts of the diaspora yeah. and people who worked across different industries. I wanted to speak to a couple of entrepreneurs, people in the nonprofit, because I wanted people to not just hear my voice on this, but I wanted people to hear other people's voices. And I also wanted to give people exposure to my network because a lot of the people in my network, people are never going to get a chance to meet those individuals but I wanted to be able to share their perspective with folks. Once again, I I guess for me, I'm so much about access and trying Mm -hmm. to broaden access as opposed to, you know, hoarding it all for myself, you know? And so that was, that was really what motivated me to to do these interviews and, you know, to include those quotes in the book.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems to me that people got a chance to, answer what is their higher intelligence what have they observed and you know the way you wove in those quotes and those conversations were really beautiful and the the depth of your experience both as a consultant outside of McKinsey and uh, it really wove together really nicely but I want you to answer specifically if intelligence is not enough what do people need
1: so I usually say three things, really. Um, I say, number one, people need to have a, a strong sense of self, a sense of mm-hmm. self-awareness, know what you're good at, know what you're not good at, know what your triggers are, know what your needs and your fears are. Like, uh, you know, And that's why the first real chapter of my book is on self, you know, because a lot of times when we talk about leadership, we talk about it in this external sense, like I'm going to lead Tim or I'm going to lead this person. and If I can get Tim in line then everything will work out. It's like, no, you need to get yourself in mind. We have hmm. to start with self because the more we work on ourselves, the more we'll be able to handle any situation or any person that we come across. So that's, that's, yeah. that's number one for me. Number okay. two is the, is the idea that, because a lot of us are taught growing up, be excellent, you know, uh, grow up and do great things. Right. But that advice never really includes other people. So we have this (laughs) idea (laughs) that we are going to be a singular entity and achieve, you know, massive amounts of success and excellence and impact. And it's just not the case. Success, impact, excellence, they all require collaboration. So then if you understand, I need other people, then I hope it helps people to start to think about, okay, what are the, what kind of people do I need? And why do I need them? And, and what what am I trying to get from those relationships? Or what am I trying to give? How do I deal with conflict? And how do I deal with people's differences? And how do I leverage people's differences? And how do people leverage my... So I hope that it gets people thinking about how do I best you know leverage other people so that I can be successful. And then I'll just say the third one is really Uh, ownership you know because we all know Mm. people who are very bright but who have some derailing behaviors you know (laughs) like (laughs) like intellectually or whatever the area is right they're super gifted but they've got these other things they have a a sense of entitlement or they don't want to work hard or they don't want to take responsibility right so the ownership part that's you saying I'm going to solve my own problems. I am going to take responsibility for my career, for my development, for the work that I deliver, for my personal brand, for my communication style. You know cuz I say in my book, you might be the employee of company ABC, but you're the CEO of you incorporated. Yes. And no no CEO sits around waiting for somebody to tell him or her the answer. They go out and find the answer. They ask the right questions. They're curious. They evaluate options. They develop their decision criteria. You know what I mean? So it's about taking that ownership. And I think if people can latch on to those three, then I think that that really is kind of will tip people over into being truly, truly successful.
0: Yeah, I think many years ago, the world realized that intelligence couldn't be measured in a single dimension. You had spiritual intelligence you had cultural intelligence. We, you and I just spoke earlier about being fluid and being open to other cultures. And that's a cultural intelligence, CQ. I think we should come up with the Carice Anderson quotient, like (laughs) C-A-Q. It's like a higher intelligence. It's like, if you are going to be a successful, you know, (laughs) you're going to be a successful professional, the C-A-Q involves you reading this book, and being completely open to evolving. How have you evolved? How has your intelligence evolved since you published this book? Because you've been thrust into the limelight. You've been in conversation after conversation. I've seen you all over the place. And how have you evolved? That's a very good question.
1: How have I evolved? I mean, I think on some levels, right? Um, I think that (laughs) I don't know if this will if this if this will answer your question or if it will count, but I think I've just realized, you know, how hungry people are for this information. That's one thing. You know, because amazing, right? You know what I mean? Sometimes you worry, you know how it is when you're about to put out a book. You're like, Mm. are people (laughs) going to receive this in the right way? You know, am I am I not addressing some of people's concerns because i don't talk a lot in the book about racism and unconscious bias and discrimination yeah any of the yeah. other isms you know but what i what i realized is that people are really hungry for this information and that for me it's also a matter of this is kind of maybe a next step for me is how do i help people hold themselves accountable oh wow you know? that's the other because i don't want you to just buy my book i don't even just want you to read my book i want you to live my book
0: Mm. You
1: know? And so I'm trying, I'm thinking about ways to help people hold themselves accountable or to serve as an accountability partner to people so that they really do put these things into practice. And and for me, I'm also thinking about, you know, if I were to write another book, what's the next level? Because I feel like my book is kind of directed at young professionals. But yeah. I've- I realize that there are a lot of people who are still stuck on this idea that, well, I'm the smartest And I've got the most degrees and qualifications. Why haven't I been promoted? And I'm like, I want to help people understand what does it take to be promoted? What are the skills that are going to best serve you at a higher level? Because, you know, you've heard that book. What got you here? Won't get you there.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: Next thing that I want to help people understand is what's what's going to help you go to that next level? Because it's not doing the same thing that you're doing now.
0: Well, I can tell you, if you don't write one for kids, intelligence is not enough for kids, then I don't know. Yeah, like, that's like an immediate, that's an immediate international bestseller. Mm,
1: Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, because I'm like, all these skills that we learn as adults, we need to start learning them as children. How do I handle conflict? How do I communicate? How do I express my emotions? How do I even recognize and understand my own emotions? We can start building that emotional intelligence, some of that relational intelligence, cultural intelligence, even personal branding intelligence at a much earlier age and in an, an age appropriate way. But you're right. That that definitely needs to happen too.
0: <laughs> well, Carice, I'm really excited for you in this next chapter of your career. I couldn't be more proud and more excited about it. I think I told you when I first picked up the book, uh, I knew it was going to be a good book because I know how thorough you are. You know, I knew it was going to be um, well done, well structured, but I didn't realize the depth that you were going to put it down in. Like you really, you put together an impressive body of work. And for me, it's excellence. And I, it's white excellence. It's black excellence. It's everybody, it's everybody's excellence. (laughs) (laughs) And I want people to go and get this book. um, No matter where you're listening, anywhere in the world. It's funny. I just, I got a thing that we're trending number one in um, uh, Malawi. Malawians, please. Download this book. They don't have it at your bookstores there. Download this book. Go to Amazon, go wherever. You can get an ebook. This book is ebook available. It's available. Okay. Do you have audio book? Can we hear your no, voice? No
1: audio, but the but the ebook, like you mentioned, is available on Amazon, Kobo, Snaplify, and ITSI. And then you okay. can also order it from exclusive books. They ship internationally here in South Africa. Okay. If you wanna if you wanna get a hard copy. If you're old school like me, I I like to fill the book, so
0: yeah, yeah. You are you're like um you know, when you when you publish a book at this level, you become like a proverbial published coach. And are you getting people to that are calling you to talk them through their own issues now?
1: You mean in terms of writing a book, or you mean issues about no, professional development? About
0: professional development.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean that that's been happening and it's just it's just but now I get requests from people I don't even know who are like, Can you know? <laughs> I'm like, I don't really have the capacity right now, but if you get that book, that's a great place <laughs> to start. I've, I've really tried to do a, a, a significant brain dump of everything yeah. that I tell people. So go get that book.
0: And what are you finding people really want to talk about the most in the book or the thing that touched people the most?
1: I think especially because of COVID and a lot of the working from home, people are asking about how do I build a relationship when I'm not in the office, I can't run into you at the canteen or the bathroom or, you know, um, the parking lot. But I, but I tell people, look, relationships are still being built. They they didn't cease, yeah. Not They don't cease to be built just because we don't have access to people. People are still building those relationships. So you got to find a way. So I tell people I'm like, reach out to people that you want to build that relationship with and say, hey, can we do a 15 minute Zoom coffee chat? Yeah. I'm like it's low risk. Yeah, I'm like come with a couple questions, but also be open to how the conversation flows. But you know, and come it- with
0: coffee, right? Yeah, come with actual coffee. Yeah, bring I'm your like, coffee. Make, yeah,
1: make an effort.
0: Yeah, because
1: you know promotions and raises and bonuses and step up opportunities are still going to be granted during this time, and people are more likely to give those opportunities to people that they know, like and trust. And so you got to create that that mechanism to get in front of people. So that, you know, they know who you are.
0: I want to end this conversation on a vulnerable note. So I'm going to admit one area that I need to work on and step up on to increase my, you know, my intelligence, my higher professional intelligence. And then I want you to close us out with an area that you need to step up on. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So here we go. The area that I need to step up on is when... I feel like when I'm speaking, I need to add more entertainment. Mm. Sometimes I get too boring and a little bit stiff in my talks because I enjoy the lecture style. I enjoy the highbrow kind of intellectual stuff. But I realize that when, until people are laughing and really, really enjoying the talk, they may not hear you at the same level of attention. Whereas if I get them warmed up a bit more, So it's something that I've been working on. And I heard Malcolm Gladwell say the same thing, that he realized that he was getting on stage lecturing off paper, but people weren't hearing him because they weren't enjoying it. And I thought to myself, that's a powerful, powerful point. So that's part of my professional development. And I just know that intelligence is not enough now.
1: (laughs) Thank you for sharing that, Tim. That's a good one. I'm going to hold on to that one, too. I'll say my, I'll say two things for myself. I, you know, you know, I've done a number of these interviews and I just want to continue to get more and more structured in my communication as much as possible,
0: because this is a
1: topic I know so much about and I'm so passionate about. And obviously I've written a 260 page book, so I can go on and on and on, but I do want to make sure that I'm being more structured or being as structured as I possibly can. I would say number two for me, and this kind of goes back to something I mentioned earlier in our conversation is I do have a bias towards action and I love my to-do list and I love ticking things off the list, but it's one thing that I'm still trying to work on is making sure that sometimes I let go of the to-do list and I focus more on the relationships and more on the people. And that I, the end that I kind of, cause I think, you know, you also get in this mindset of, I need to constantly be doing to sort of demonstrate my worth and value. But sometimes I think you need to step away from that and focus more on people. And so it's something I'm cognitively aware of. And I just got to make sure I keep myself um, accountable in terms of continuing to do that.
0: Carissa Anderson, thank you for joining me on the Brain and Brand Show.
1: Thanks for having me, Timothy.
0: Thanks so much for listening. And remember, as the future is becoming scripted, you have to evolve. Put systems in place to grow your higher intelligence. Until next time.